I want you to go in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. How many love the Word of God? I, I love the Word of God. I believe the more that you read the Word, the more you study the Word, the more it comes alive. And uh, we've been in a series on faith, and I believe this. I really believe God is stirring the heart of our church. Not, not just my heart or some of our, I believe collectively as a church, God's stirring us to look through the lens of faith, to look through the lens of possibility. But the, the, the Bible says this, that with God, all things are possible. So when you look through that lens, it changes the way that you live. It changes the way that you pray. It changes the way that you worship. In, in Mark chapter 6, We've been in this series. We've been in Mark chapter 5. We started in Mark chapter 6 last week. I want you to go to verse 34, and I'm going, to read, I'm going to read 10 verses to you. It says, when Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things, and by this time it was late in the day. It means he was preaching a long time. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Send them away. But he, Jesus, answered. I love this. We could preach the rest of the time just right here. He says, you give them something to eat. How do you like that? So you came into church today, Lord, Lord, I really need a miracle. Well, you go do a miracle. Well, that's, that wasn't what I was expecting. This, this is Jesus. He says, you give them something. You give them something to eat, they said to him. That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? And this is a question you find multiple times in Scripture where God takes inventory or asks us to take inventory of what we do have. He says, what, what do you have? What do you have in your hand? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves, not very many, and two fish, not very many, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Divided two fish among them all. That would be no big deal if it was two of them. But they all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. So two fish shared by multiple people, 12 basketfuls left over. The number of the men who had eaten were 5,000. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, you've probably heard this passage of Scripture. You've heard the story, Jesus fed the 5,000. But I, I want to dive in to this passage of Scripture to illustrate the way that faith works. The, the, the way that God uses us to partner with him to accomplish his purpose. We, we, we started the series in Mark chapter 5, and, and, and we talked about the woman with the issue of blood, which was interesting because the woman with the issue of blood, she had been suffering for 12 years. But in a moment, she reached through the crowd, touched Jesus' garment, and the Bible says she was healed instantly. Now, you, you got to look at this. If you missed it, you got to go back and listen to it because did Jesus talk to her first? Did he check her symptoms first? Did Jesus find her? No, she found him. So this woman, out of her suffering, out of her own desperation, reached through the crowd, took hold of his garment, and she was healed. In the fact, the Bible says she was healed immediately. 
So if you remember, we talked about this. There is always a journey connected to immediately's. Because she had suffered for 12 years. That's not immediately. The healing came immediately, but it was connected to her journey. And we, we continued the series, and we, and we talked about Jairus' daughter. Now, Jairus had come to Jesus in faith, saying, will you heal my daughter? Jesus says, yes, let's go. But while he was on his way to Jairus' house, the woman with the issue of blood interrupted him. So Jairus was patient, but while he was patient, one of his members of his household came to him and said, don't bother Jesus anymore because your daughter has passed away. She's died. Well, if you know the story, Jesus says, we're still going. He goes into the house. He says, do not fear, only believe. He walks in the house. There were some people that were doubting him, and I love this. There's people, some doubting, and he, said, he put the doubters out. He said, y'all got to go. He, he went Deion Sanders on them. He just said, you never believed. I have the receipts. I have the receipts. Get out of here. And, 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 and Jesus puts the doubters out, and he raises the girl from the dead. Which tells us something. He said, do not fear, only believe. This is the lens of faith. That faith is not something that I possess as a thing. Faith is a lens in which I see through. So now I can look through the lens of faith and anything that is impossible, I see as possible with God's strength. Then we go to Mark chapter 6 and Jesus is on a roll. He's got momentum. Woman with the issue of blood, healed, dead girl healed, raised from the dead. Then he goes to his hometown. And then it says, and Jesus could not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Now this, this, is, this is interesting to me because he did do many miracles. Like he, he, did, he did some miracles. He says he healed, he laid hands. The only thing he could do is lay hands on a few sick people and they recovered. Many of us would call that a good day in church. Right, we came to church, and, 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 and one, of the, one of the pastors laid his hands on a couple six people, and they got healed, and we're having revival. But, but the reason that it's stated this way is that God had a purpose that was bigger than a couple random miracles. God's plan is bigger than a couple. We think that's big, but it's not big to God. There's something bigger that God's doing, and there's something bigger that God wants to do through his church and through his people. And, and, and the Bible says this, he could not do the many miracles or the mighty work because of their lack of faith. So it tells us this, there is a faith that can be on you to do a miracle or to see a healing, but there, there is a collective faith. There's a corporate faith that can unlock the work of God. So, so you have a responsibility when you come to church, not just to get your coffee and get here on time. you got a responsibility to come with faith. We're not trying to have three warm-up songs to try to get the faith up. We should come with some faith. We should, we should come with a corporate faith, a collective faith. We have a responsibility to have a collective faith so there is no delay in the purpose of God. Because God healing a couple people is not just God's purpose. That's not the extent of what he wants to do. That's just some of what he wants. God wants to do a mighty work. God, God wants to transform our cities. God, God wants to save people that are far from him. God wants to restore relationships. God wants to set people free from addiction. God, God wants to do like big things, but it takes a collective. That means you got to bring your faith and I got to bring my faith. I, I'm going to tell you something. I got good news for you. I got a little extra today. So if you didn't bring any faith, I got some faith for you. But it would be more powerful if you didn't use mine and you used yours. 
that if we would put our faith together, your faith and my faith and your faith and your, if we put that together, there's a collective faith where we say, God, we will not be the reason that you're not moving. We will not delay what you want to do. Do what, do a mighty work. What, what would a mighty work look like? You ever, what, if God did a mighty work in your life, what would that look like? What would that look like in your family if God began to do a mighty work? What would that look like in our ministries if God began to do it? Well, I think God is. I don't know. I think he's doing something. I don't know if it's mighty yet. I think that's setting our sights too low on what our almighty God could do. I think we need to pick up our, our, our vision and pick up our eyes and see that God wants to do something way bigger than what we could even ask or imagine. In verse 34, it says, when, when Jesus landed and he saw the large crowd, he was moved with compassion. This is interesting to me, and whenever you see in the Bible that Jesus was moved with compassion, you should stop and just take notice. What kind of thing moved God's heart? What kind of thing made Jesus pause and have compassion for someone? In, in, in fact, you should be really careful or pay careful attention to your tears. Personally, what breaks your heart? What moves you? What are you passionate about? What, 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 what kind of situation do you feel purpose in? I, I was flying home this weekend, and, and uh, I was on, on the flight, and, and so I was like, okay, I just got to, like, relax. I'd been working all week, and I'm like, I just got to relax for a minute and just get my mind off things. And so I, 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 turned, off, I turned on a documentary, and, and, and I don't recommend it. it, it it's called Couples Therapy, and, and I, was, I was playing a game with myself if I could beat the therapist, okay? So I, they were saying their problems, and then I was trying to, like, think of the advice before the therapist gave it and to see if I was, like, kind of on or not. And so I was kind of having fun. And, and, and I was like three for three. And, uh, you know, daddy issues, daddy. And, and, and it, it's, it's a good one. Sunday school, the answer is Jesus. Counseling, the, the answer is daddy issues. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing well in my, my own competition. And this, this lady in the, in the documentary, she begins sharing with the therapist about this pain that she'd been through. And how she'd been disappointed and how she had really blew up her life by the mistakes that she made. And, and, and she starts sharing this. And I'm on the plane and I notice I have a tear that drops off my cheek. And I'm like, what is going on? You need to pay careful attention to the things that make you weep. You know, you know what I saw? I saw pain. You know what I for some reason, I pay careful attention to people's pain because that's the place that God's called me. That's where I find purpose is because, you know what I, I wanted to do? I wanted to jump inside the documentary because the therapist was, she's, she's decent, but I mean, I had, I had a little edge. You know, you know what my edge was, Honestly. So that woman doesn't need another counseling session. And we believe in counseling. We go to counseling. She needs, she needs the presence of God. And my heart broke that she was in this cycle literally saying things like, I will never get over this. I will always live with this pain. And my heart was breaking for her because she doesn't have to always live with that pain. She doesn't have to live with that mistake. She doesn't have to live with that trauma. She doesn't have to never sleep through the night. She doesn't have to be addicted because we serve a God 
who loves us and gave his son to die for us. And that son, Jesus, has the ability, the power to set us free. And what I wanted to do is jump inside the documentary and say, hold on. There is an answer. You don't have to manage your pain for the rest of your life. You can actually be healed from it. You don't have to manage your addiction for the rest of your life. You can actually be set free. Because my Bible says the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. There is freedom. There is freedom that's available. And I, I, I realized that, that the place of my passion or the place of my compassion is also a place of my purpose. And I just want you to know this, that the reasons that your heart beats for certain things is because God's trying to illuminate something in you. There is a reason why, you're, why you are on this earth, sucking this oxygen, living these days. It's, it's because God has something for you. Your purpose is not just to work your nine to five, get your kids through college and retire early. Your job is to make kingdom influence, kingdom impact. And there is something on the inside of you that, that God's gonna help you discover. And I'll tell you the first key to discovering it is the things that move you. Man, I don't know why. I'm just passionate about the human trafficking ministry at the Dream Center. Well, there's a reason. Not everybody's passionate about that. So some, some people care, but some people are moved. And when you're moved, you need to pay attention because there's often, oftentimes an accompanying faith step that God's about to ask you to take so that you can unlock God's power in that situation. Purpose is not supposed to be something you just set on the mantle and say, look at my amazing compassion. Compassion always leads to some type of action. In verse 35, it says this, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him, Jesus. He tells them it's a remote place, and they start making excuses. It's already very late. He says, send the people away. Now, Jesus started teaching early in the day. So, I mean, I don't know how long you've been going to church, but like when a preacher really gets going and, and there's no service after you, I mean, it can, it, can get, it can get long. I mean, most people are trying to get out of service to beat the Baptists, to BJs. You know, like, it, it, it's, Jesus is like, I mean, he's, he's like, he's, he's, man, it's like the Charismatics, he's past them. The, the Baptists, he's past them. I mean, it's just like, he's still going. And the disciples, I think, I, honestly, I don't think the people were as hungry as they were. I honestly think the disciples were like, dude, I'm hungry. Like, hey, Jesus, the people that you have compassion on. They're, they're starving out there, man. You gotta send them away. You know, I, I've learned this in a lot of years of ministry. When a pastor says, in closing, it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> it, 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 if a pastor ever says, like, can I have five more minutes? Just don't even answer. It doesn't even mean, it doesn't mean anything. Whenever a pastor says that, honestly, and you can do this with me if you want. If I ever say, I'll be five more minutes, then start your, start your timer, all right? And if I go over that, then just start waving at me. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna I had a young preacher tell me one time, he's like, well, pastor, I don't know, like, I just, I, I've been going over time, but I, do, I just don't know how to stop. And I said, well, I'll tell you. And I just stopped. He goes, what? And I go, you see how I just stopped talking? That's what you do when you're out of time. And if you wanna preach here again, learn how to do it. In love, in love. Jesus is just preaching. 
He is, you know the worst part? I, I, this is what happens a lot of times with guest speakers. Okay, you're gonna see this sometimes. Guest speakers come up, I'll be sitting right up there and they're preaching and they're going and the timer's out and they keep going and they're like, Pastor, are we good to continue? Like, what am I supposed to say right there? No, wrap it, wrap it up. Cut his mic, cut his mic. I mean, it's like, that's like asking, like asking your parents for permission to go to your friend's house in front of your friend, right? It's like the pressure's on. Like, what is he going to say? It's like, I have to say yes. I'm like, yeah, keep going, man. It's amazing. <laughs> Jesus has been preaching for a long time. So long that people are hungry. So the disciples go to Jesus, and this is their answer. Send them away. This moved me this week because I started to think about how many people come to us and to our churches. And when they have needs, we say, man, go find some help somewhere. And we don't understand that actually the answer could be in you. God saved you. God set you free. God's delivered you. Some of you shouldn't even be alive and you're alive. Some of you should not be in, wor- in, in church worshiping God and you're here. Wor- Some of you should not be married and you're married. Some of you should not be free and you're free. Friends, that is a testimony. That is not a badge of honor that we look at what God has done in the past. It's also a permission slip to begin to do things in the future. God did something in you so that you can help someone step in into that same place of freedom. And the disciples, they said, just send them away, Jesus. Send them away. And, and this is when Jesus, this is what he said. He, he said, you do something about it. I just, I can't even imagine being in that scenario. I've been following Jesus. I'm hungry, hangry. And uh, that's what I like to say. It's a, it's a mix of hunger and anger. Some of you didn't know that. Hangry, it's a new word for you. And, 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 and so I'm, I'm there and, and I'm like, hey, Jesus, I'm just trying to help you out. People are hungry, okay? And uh, this, is, this is probably a time to give him some food. And he's like, you're good. Go ahead and give him something to eat. That, that'd be like the band up here leading worship. And all of a sudden the worship leader's like, hey, catch. You're up. You know, it's like, oh. Some of you are like, oh, I've been waiting for that chance. It's like, well, we have not. Okay, there's a reason. Um, You do something about it. Do something about it. Why would Jesus put that kind of pressure on his disciples? Can I help you with something? God will never ask from you something that you're not able to give or he will not ask you to do something that you're not able to do. So the fact that Jesus even asked the question means that they actually did have something that they could do. They couldn't see it. They didn't know it, but Jesus did. So when he asked the question, it wasn't to humiliate them. It wasn't to embarrass them. It was to activate them. So he says, you do something about it. He says, what do you have? And this is a question that everyone has to ask themselves. What what do I have? What do I have? What do I I have? And and the only thing they had, they said, was like a little lunch, like five loaves of bread and two fish. And another gospel, not Mark, another another gospel account says that it was a little boy's lunch. Now, in Mark, it just says, they said, hey, this is what we have, which tells me that they probably stole the lunch. (laughs) Right? I mean, like, where, why does it Mark? It was probably Mark. Because Mark doesn't even mention the little boy. 
He just says, yeah, I, I've got three loaves of bread and two fish. You know, I just happened to bring. It's like we had one responsible kid with a loving mom that sent him Long John Silvers to hear Jesus. And, and now Mark stole it. And Jesus says, do you have anything? He says, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have anything except this little lunch. Which reminds me of another story in 2 Kings chapter 4. Elisha, the prophet, has an encounter with a widow who had just lost her husband. You remember this story? In, in, in the Old Testament, she comes to the prophet and she's, she says, I, I, don't, I don't have money to pay the collectors or the bills. And he says, what do you have? This is a question he asks her. What do you have in your house? And she says this, I have nothing there at all. Do you have it on the screen? Put it up there. Because I think it's important to see it. She said, I have nothing there at all. I mean, I, I was homeschooled, but I can, I, I understand that that's, my teacher's in the room, God bless you, mother. I can understand that a small jar of oil is not nothing. So her perspective was the thing that she had was nothing. The thing that she had was worthless. The lunch that they had was worthless. But you have to understand something about faith is God was not looking for the disciples to feed the 5,000. God was looking for the disciples to use what they had to activate his power so that he could feed the 5,000. It is not your power that saves someone. It's not your power that sets someone free. But it could be your faith and your obedience that unlocks the power of God so that he can do what he wants to do. She said, I've got nothing there at all except. Did you know your except could set a city free? Your except could set your family free? Your what? I don't have anything. I don't have anything at all except I, I should have died three times and I'm still here. What? Your except could set someone free. Man, I just, I don't have anything except I've been married for 42 years. 42 years? Do you know how many people are aiming for that? That except could, could give someone hope that they can make it through some ups and some downs. I haven't done anything except raise four amazing kids that all love Jesus. What? Your accept could give hope to some struggling mom who's barely trying to make it to church this morning. But if you devalue the little that you have, you will always be stuck with the little that you have. It's faith that takes the little I have and puts it in God or sows it. There's a scripture when Paul writes to the church of Corinth, he said, that, that, that God provides seed to the sower. He's talking primarily about finances in, in this context, that, that if you want to sow, God will give you seed to sow. Some of us, we're busy spending our seed, and we should be sowing it. Because if you really understand kingdom principles, you understand that there, is a, there are seasons in the kingdom, seed time and harvest. And the Bible says, to the end of time, this will continue. Seed time and harvest seed time and so that means when we sow we also will reap but it's not just finances it's whatever you give to God as seed your testimony your mornings your prayer your commitment your worship 
your generosity, your home, the space around your table. Whatever you give is not all that it is. Whatever you give is a seed. The, the woman in the Old Testament, she took the jar of oil because the prophet goes, yeah, that's gonna, your accept is going to work. He said, go collect as many jars as you can and don't collect just a few. She fills the house with jars and she takes a little jar of oil and she begins to pour it in a large jar that's empty. And the oil keeps flowing until the jar is full. She goes to the next jar and she pours it. The oil miraculously keeps flowing. until the jar. She filled all the jars in the house until there was no more jars. And then the oil stopped flowing. You know why a lot of people operate in lack in every area, not just financially, in every area. You know why they operate in lack? Is because they never sow what they have. If you always protect what you have and you never have the faith to sow what you have, it's really a cycle of poverty that comes on believers or you could say in context of our series, a cycle of doubt that gets you in that place that whatever I have, I got to protect because I don't know when I'm going to lose this and I, this might be the only time that I ever have this and it might be the only time that I ever get this and I might only have this time. And you know, your life is designed by God to be spent. In fact, the Bible says, if you would like to find your life, then you should, can I change it for this? Can I, if you would like to find your life, then you should sow your life. And if you sow your life, then you will find your life. You know, some of the happiest times our family has is when we're at the Dream Center. People are coming through that food line and we're giving them food and we're hugging them, tears coming down their face and saying thank you. You know what? We're sowing. You know, some of the happiest moments for me, sometimes when I'm sitting in the front and I'm in worship and I see our worship leaders, some of our young guys worshiping that I remember like when they were in high school and they were crazy and now they're married and they're up on stage and they're just giving worship to God. It's just that, that just excites me because every meeting and every moment of discipleship and every seed sown, it's worth it when you see them up here and Caleb's doing his kick. I'm like, yeah, I like that. Some of you are like, oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. What well, you didn't sow the seeds. So that's why you... If you would have sowed the seeds and you would have seen where he was and what he was, and then you see him now, you're like, you kick it, boy. Do it again. See if you can get it higher. He wasn't doing it today, though. He had those boots on. It was just weighing him down. Jesus says, give it to me. So he took it. The Bible says he broke the bread and blessed it. Then he gave it back to them. And then they begin to distribute it. Okay, when did the miracle take place? Not in the prayer, not in the blessing, not in the breaking, not in Jesus' hands. It was when they gave it, when they sowed it. If you're not happy today, just like, just like real general, practical, you're not happy today, it just could be because you're not sowing the life that you have. This life's supposed to be given away. 
That's how it was designed. It was pre-constructed by God to only work in satisfaction and peace when it's being sown. And if you really want happiness, then you just start sowing your life. You start sowing your tears. You, you start sowing your passion. and You start giving. Is this about finances? No, it's about giving. Every area. I love when we have church early morning church prayer. And on Tuesday mornings, we pray from 7 to 10. And, and I, I see some of you every single week in here in prayer. You know what that is? Sowing. You're taking valuable time and you're coming into the house of God and you're sowing prayer. That's sowing. When I'm here early in the morning on Sunday mornings and I see our trucks roll out at 6 a.m. to all of our locations with setup and teardown teams and lead team, you know what that is? It's sowing. It's sowing. It's giving of time, energy to say we're going to advance the kingdom. And friends, if you really want a life that's exciting, really want a life that's full of peace and joy and happiness then you have to sow it best served when it's given away you, you know I'm, I'm, I, I want to show you this because we, 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 have to, we have to close it doesn't mean anything but we do have to I preached a message on faith years ago and, and, and I, I use this illustration because it, it really unlocks something for me is that you know motion detection lights, like motion detectors? They detect motion, and when motion is detected, it unlocks power. Right? I know. Some of you are like, we know how they work. We'll apply it to your faith. The reason you have no light is because you have no movement. The reason you have no power is because you have no Actually, let me just show it. Come here, Emily. You got, you got the camera? Come up here. Okay, put that camera on me. Put that camera on me. You got it? Got it? I think it's up. Yeah, there it is. Okay, now, every single week when I preach, I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do something I'm not supposed to do, okay? Every single week when I preach, I have a reminder of faith. And I'm going to show you because every time you see a motion detector light, you're going to start thinking about faith. Come here. Come on with me. Let's go. It's really dark back here. Don't be scared. All right. Can you guys see? Is it dark? Okay, come on, Emily. Come on, keep coming. It's, okay, now look up at that light. Now, when I walked into this hallway, it was pitch black. But when I came back here, that light detected motion, and it turned on. It's crazy. The problem is sometimes with that light, it's delayed. And I had to, like, wave my arms to get it to see me so it unlocks light. And I'm going to tell you this. Come on with me. Come back. You guys still here? That would, that would have been super weird if you all left. And I was just back there talking. It, it is motion that unlocks power to shed light. It is obedience in the heart of the believer. It is faith in the heart of the believer that partners with God and says, we're going to go where you told us to go. We're going to walk where you told us to walk. And it's your motion that unlocks his power. And I'm afraid that some people have sat their entire lives in church waiting for God to do something. And God is waiting for any flicker of life, any flicker of, just do something, take a deep breath. Let me see some movement so that I can unlock my power. I'll show you this. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You've heard this passage of scripture, this verse all throughout this series. Faith comes by 
hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, and I, I was studying this a couple weeks ago because everybody says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And, and, and I'm, I was thinking about all the things God's promised us and the things God's spoken to my spirit years ago. And, 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 and I'm thinking, man, I need, a, I, need a, I need a verse like to connect with each one of these promises because if I got a word, then it's, it's gonna come to pass. And I started looking at this and, and put it back up, put it back up. I gotta, everyone's gotta see it. Faith comes by seeing. No, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So, so I looked at it and, and, and if, you, if you actually think about this the word of God in the, in the Greek most of the times where the word of God said in the Greek original language is logos which means logic or a lot of translations will say written word I always thought faith comes by hearing and hearing by the written logical word of God but the Greek word for word of God in this verse, Romans 10, 17, is, is not logos. It's rhema. Rhema means the spoken word of God. It means an utterance or something that God says. So, so check this out. Everything that God's spoken to your spirit probably produced faith in you. Because when God spoke it to you, that connected with you and you start to have faith to faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema or the spoken word of God everything that God says lines up with what he wrote every rhema connects with the logos but the rhema is what God speaks to you and I'm going to tell you this God's speaking right now God has spoken in your past and some of you need to remember the things that God said to spark faith in you again to believe for what he's going to do there's not a promise that's going to go unfulfilled there's not a prophecy that is going to go unfulfilled because if God said it it should produce faith in you and if you would begin to move in that direction you would see the power of God and I believe this God is awakening the hearts of our church to not just be spectators at what God is doing but to begin to move in faith to activate the power of God every Sunday I walk back there and I wait for that light to come on but if I wait it never comes on but then I'll Phil, Phil will tell you every Sunday we go back there and then I start waving because it's movement it's motion it's not just some motion just to have motion. It's motion connected. It's obedience connected to God's word that unlocks God's power in your life. Why did the 5,000 get fed? Well, Jesus multiplied the food. Well, no, the disciples sowed their lunch. And when they made the move to give it to Jesus, Jesus put power on it and gave it back. And as they poured it out, it kept, can you imagine that scene? It's like, this is a little tadpole. Like, take a little piece, Peter. No, not, don't eat it in all in one bite. And, 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 then, and then it's like, wait, wait. And then it's just like fish for, you get a fish and you get a fish. And every, I mean, it's like, it's going crazy. Why? Because a couple of disciples took him at his word said you can have the little that I have what do you have did you know I'm going to close with this this is for real 
I feel like I should just keep on. Pastor John, can you give me five more minutes? What are you supposed to say? Even your pain is a seed. So when I say this, I feel compassion. Because there's people in the room, you're walking through dark seasons, tough seasons, painful seasons, and you say, I got nothing left at all except this terrible season that I find myself in. This is the ultimate step of faith to take my pain and the tough season and not to hold it and not to be a victim and not to be bitter but to say, Jesus, I saw it. I saw my pain. I, I saw the disappointment. I, I saw the mistakes that I thought disqualified me. I, I give them. And friends, I'm telling you, there's something so powerful about the people who trust God enough to give him their pain. I don't have anything except you give him what you have. You give him the little jar of oil. You give him the jar of tears. You give him the painful season. You give him the disappointments. You, you give him the places where you've been hurt. You give him the injustice. You, you, give him, you give him those moments. And watch what God will do. God could use your story to give hope to someone else's story. God could use your salvation to give hope to someone else's salvation. God could do something in your family and turn your mourning into joy. God could turn your, your, your weeping around, give you beauty for ashes by you sowing it to him. Would you stand up with me all across this place?